Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. And I want to talk about apostolic laying on of hands succession. Now, in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, cutting into verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So in other words, Jesus said he was going to build his church, and it would not die out. Similarly, in Matthew uh, 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus said to go and teach everyone. He's going to be with those teaching until the end of the age, which also shows that the church was not going to die out. Well, like the uh, Roman and Eastern Orthodox Catholics, as well as various Protestants, uh, we in the Continuing Church of God consider that uh, the Christian church started on the day of Pentecost, mentioned in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Now, as far as apostolic succession goes, this term has various possible meanings, but I'd like to read one from a Roman Catholic uh, priest and scholar by the name of uh, uh, Richard McBrien. Apostolic succession. In its true sense, apostolic succession refers to the doctrine by which the validity and authority of the Christian ministry is derived from the apostles. The outward sign by which this connection is both symbolized and affected is the laying on of hands by the bishop at ordination. In its broadest sense, apostolic succession refers to the relationship between the Christian church today and the apostolic church of New Testament times. Thus, apostolic succession refers to the whole church insofar as it is faithful to the word, the witness, and the service of the apostolic communities. Understood in this way, the church is not simply a collectivity of individual churches. Instead, it's a communion of churches whose validity is derived from the apostolic message that it professes and the apostolic witness that it lives. In other words, according to this priest, who, by the way, I've communicated with, apostolic succession is actually related to the exception of the succession of biblical truth as taught by the original apostles. Spiritual succession is the most important factor to consider when it comes to the subject of apostolic succession. Because if there's no spiritual succession, they're not teaching the original beliefs, there's no, no physical land hands would even count. And just before I go further, we have a book, and much of what I'm going over is actually from this book, Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church. Now this book is available free online, at the www.ccog.org website. That's ccog.org. Go under the literature tab on top, under books and booklets, and you'll find our literature. It's free, and any other book I hold up is also available at ccog.org. This documents the beliefs of the original church, beliefs that we in the continuing Church of God still hold to today. We contend that the Church of God has both spiritual and laying on of hands succession. But we also don't think one's got to be a bishop or pastor in order to lay on hands. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and mostly I'm going to be reading from Roman Catholic translations or uh, Greek Orthodox translations of the Bible. This is from the Dewey Rames, which is a Catholic translation. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, And the things which thou hast heard of me by many witnesses... The same commend to faithful men who shall be fit to teach others also. 
So anyway, in addition to apostolic faithfulness, the laying on hands is a factor, and that is how one is ordained, which is what Paul did to Timothy uh, in uh, uh, you see, uh, 1 Timothy 1, verse 6. Now, the laying on of hands, along with doctrinal continuity, is the type of succession the Bible points to. Now, Eastern Orthodox priestess scholar Laurent Cleanerwork, who I've spoken to many times, I've worked with him on one or two things on church history, wrote, Apostolic succession involves a physical link, the laying on of hands between the apostles and their successors. Uh, And the Catholic Encyclopedia also endorses laying out of hands succession, though it uses a different term. It says, the apostles imposed hands on the newly baptized, on those to be promoted to holy orders, and on others to bestow some type of supernatural gift or corporal benefit. Okay, so that's uh, the way... He explained it. Now, as the Bible states, uses the term laying out of hands, for example, in uh, uh, Hebrews 6.2, so that's an essential or fundamental doctrine. Now, in terms of historical references, there's a letter from the Romans to the Corinthians. It's commonly called First Clement. It is not part of the Bible. And here's what it teaches. And this is important because this Looks like it came from Rome, in the uh, probably in the 90s uh, uh, A.D. and didn't come from a, a bishop of Rome. By the way, it's not it's not signed or anything, but uh, we believe this was sent because the apostle John had been there and, and longer was there. Anyway, here's what this document says. Our apostles also knew through our Lord Jesus Christ that there would be strife on account of the office of the episcopate, or bishop, or pastorate. For this reason, therefore, inasmuch as they obtained a perfect foreknowledge of this, they appointed those ministers already mentioned, and afterwards gave instructions that when those should fall asleep, die, other approved men should succeed them in their ministry. We are of a Opinion, therefore, that those appointed by them or afterwards by their eminent men, with the consent of the whole church, and who have blamelessly served the flock of Christ in a humble, peaceable, and disinterested spirit, and have for a long time possessed the good opinion of all, cannot be justly dismissed from the ministry. So, what this is basically saying is people who had hands laid on them by the apostles and who are teaching what the apostles taught should be considered to have succession or teaching from the apostles. Of course, that's not quite the way the Greco-Romans teach apostolic succession, but th that's, that's the issue. And of course, it doesn't require one to be directly appointed by a bishop for this to happen, because it could be any minister, and this is what this is teaching, or elder. And now there's many groups that claim apostolic succession in general, the Roman and Eastern Orthodox Catholic Church churches, they recognize five uh, apostolic sees in existence. While they also admit that there was a see of Ephesus that they believed had that status, apostolic uh, see or continuation. Now, as far as those who are not considered to be Protestant goes, 
There's also a Roman Catholic Church in Malta, the Armenian Apostolic Church, and various other Roman Catholic, Eastern Rite, Coptic, and Eastern Orthodox groups who claim apostolic succession. So that's outside the five claimed apostolic sees of the, uh, of the two biggest Greco-Roman churches. Now, including Paul, there are well over a dozen first century apostles. I've seen lists that says there's dozens or, or whatever. So there obviously would have been many lines of succession. But for any line to be valid now, it would need to hold something closely related to the, the original faith, which I keep holding in this book, which documents our belief. Now, the continuing Church of God asserts that it holds the beliefs of the original Catholic Church, which became based in uh, Asia Minor, also known as the East, under the Apostle John, and that this, the see of Ephesus, or Smyrna, moved, but never completely died out. Furthermore, uh, the continuing Church of God asserts it should be considered to best represent the original Christian Eastern Rite in terms of liturgy and doctrine. Now, there are 27 books of the New Testament, we have a book, by the way, about the Bible, Who Gave the World the Bible, also available at ccog.org. Anyway, and at least nine of those New Testament books were directly written to leaders of the church in Asia Minor. The ones clearly written to those in Asia Minor include Galatians, Ephesus, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Timothy was Ephesus, Philemon, 1st Peter, 3rd John, and Revelation. Now, according to the Ryrie uh, Study Bible, John's Gospel, 1 Corinthians, 1 and 2 John, and possibly Philippians were written from Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor. In addition to these 14, there seem to be more as 1 and 2 John, 2 Peter, and possibly Jude may have been directed to one or more of the churches in Asia Minor. The bulk of the books written by the Apostles John and Paul were written from Asia Minor or to those in Asia Minor. Asia, Asia Minor included the seven churches of Revelation, such as the cities of Ephesus and Smyrna, which are mentioned in Revelation 11, verse, I mean, chapter 1, verse 11. Now, the Bible is clear that the Apostle Paul went to Asia Minor. Within Asia Minor, he went to Ephesus and he taught there for two years, according to Acts 19. He wrote, he laid hands on Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 6, who became a bishop or evangelist, 2 Timothy 4, 5 there. And legend ties his teaching, his preaching in with an amphitheater, which is referred to in uh, Acts 19, uh, verse uh, 29, and a place that uh, my wife and I have been to. Uh, it won't come out here, but it's in the book. There's a picture of that particular amphitheater. And according to the late Worldwide Church of God evangelist Dean Blackwell, quote, Ephesus on the west coast of Asia Minor was apostolic church. It was an apostolic church, and that's what we're saying as well in the continuing Church of God. And in uh, 1958, the old Radio Church of God in his Plain Truth magazine wrote that it was a wrote, a small but unbroken chain of witnesses continued throughout history with the faith and worship of the apostolic church. So the uh, old Radio Church of God was teaching uh, at least spiritual uh, apostolic succession. Now, reportedly, no later than 67 AD, the apostle John was in Ephesus, and he led the churches in Asia Minor. 
Furthermore, and this is from uh, another a non-Church of God source, John visited Ephesus to spread the word of his Messiah Jesus in the enormous Ephesus amphitheater. Thousands came to hear the apostles speak, and there was a great concern for his safety. According to legend, the authorities kept his location shrouded in secrecy before he sprang to the stage. Now, although for a long time, according to Revelation 1, verse 9, the Apostle John was in Patmos, he ended up living in the city of Ephesus, and he may have outlived the Apostle Peter for like 30 years. Now, interestingly, in the second century, the Roman Catholic Saint Irenaeus wrote, the church in Ephesus, founded by Paul, and having John remaining among them permanently until the times of Trajan, that's Roman Emperor Trajan, uh, which is why we believe the Apostle John lived until around the beginning of the second century, is a true witness of the tradition of the Apostles. So Irenaeus said the Ephesus church was a true witness based on, and then, uh, of the Apostles. So they had true apostolic succession. The early Asia Minor church in Ephesus and Smyrna was faithful, and we in the Continuing Church of God trace our, through the leadership there, while we also recognize that nearby Antioch also played a role. And one of the biblically observed traditions there, practiced as the apostles, was the observance of Passover on the 14th for over two centuries by those in Ephesus and Smyrna. Now in Ephesus, the early Church of God was led by Paul for at least three years, and it's called Church of God in First uh, Timothy 3.5 in the New Jerusalem Bible, Catholic translation. Uh, probably uh, Timothy, and then later John. Ephesus clearly was a Gentile church, according to the book of Ephesians, and it kept God's holy days, such as Pentecost and uh, Passover and Days of Love and Bread, as a letter from Polycrates, late 2nd century, also indicates. Now, Paul, who was given, according to Galatians 2.7, Ephesians 3.8, to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and approved to do so by Peter and John in Galatians 2 as well, he played a major role in the church of Ephesus, as well as others in Asia Minor. Now, in the early 4th century, the official imperial historian Eusebius wrote, Timothy, so it is recorded, was the first to, to receive the episcopate, or the pastorate, of the parish in Ephesus. Now, an episcopate means a bishopric, or pastorate, which demonstrates that in the time of Timothy, evangelist-ranked ministers, and not mainly apostles, were considered to be uh, uh, bishops. Now, Roman Catholic accepted writings normally don't refer to bishops as apostles. Anyway, this further suggests that the apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle John was not subservient to any bishop of Rome. And this is one of the differences between how the Church of Rome does their list and we do ours. We contend that if Peter died 65 plus or minus AD in Rome, which we don't believe he did, but even if he did, we don't believe he was succeeded by Linus and uh, Cletus and Anacletus and all these other guys who were alive when the Apostle John was alive. The Apostle John was still alive through the reign of Trajan, and Trajan was emperor from like 98 to 117 AD, approximately there. So John was alive during this period of time. We don't believe that a bishop of Rome was above 
and the original apostle. So we trace our history uh, through Peter, Paul, through John, then to other people like Polycarp. We'll get to that later. And most historians believe that uh, John went to Ephesus after Timothy was there. Oh, now prior to John, yes, it's true that Timothy was in Ephesus, and he had succession from the Apostle Paul. Yet in Second Peter, Second Timothy, one fifteen, Paul wrote that all of Asia turned away from him, so the church had to begin anew in Asia. And throughout church history, various ones have fallen away, making the church look like it seemingly started all over again. And one of the criticisms faced or leveled against the continuing church of God is, look, you guys didn't uh, declare until uh, 2012, incorporate until 2013, therefore you just showed up. And it's no, when there have been apostasies and various things, the church of God, people have separated from other groups and gone through, generally speaking, with another name but without unbroken laying on of hands succession. Anyway, since the Apostle John moved to Ephesus after Paul was there, uh, we don't consider that there's a non-apostle uh, like Timothy before he was, who succeeded him. Well, anyway, the Catholic Encyclopedia calls, says that the, quote, See of Ephesus was founded by St. John the Apostle. Now, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines a, the sea the word see, in this case, as, quote, a seat of a bishop's or pastor's office. And uh, here's something from uh, Kate Belamonte. John had a disciple named Polycarp, a young man who heard the apostles' sermons in Ephesus, absorbed his teachings, and became a bishop and martyr in nearby Smyrna. And Polycrates of Ephesus reported that uh, John the Apostle died in Ephesus. Now, Protestant historian James Charles Wall wrote of, quote, Polycarp, the successor of St. John in the Sea of Ephesus. The sea in this context is pointing to an area which is believed to have apostolic succession. It wasn't simply the city of Ephesus because Polycarp lived in Smyrna. Uh, and my wife and I had been to the seven churches, uh, and uh, Smyrna and, Eph and uh, Ephesus aren't all that far from each other. Now, I want to read something from, Coth from a Coptic Orthodox bishop uh, named Yusuf. He wrote, Polycarp, appointed to be bishop of the See of Smyrna by the apostles themselves at the age of 40. He provides us with an important link in our long historical chain of Orthodox tradition clasping together the apostles and the second century church. And we agree, we agree that Polycarp, who was converted in the first century and knew the apostles, is a tie into the second century. Now, Ephesus was recognized as important. And I want to read something from theologian and historian John M. Neal something he explained back in 1850. The Sea of Ephesus has always been esteemed as one of the first in the church. This dignity arose not so much from the fact that Ephesus was a residence of the proconsul of Asia, it was kind of like the capital of Asia Minor, as because the church there was planted by St. Paul and regarded St. John as its second founder. 
that St. Timothy was its first bishop, ecclesiastical tradition is constant in asserting on his suffering martyrdom, St. John is related to have consecrated a namesake of his own as the second prelate. From that time, the see of Ephesus possessed patriarchal authority over the whole diocese of Asia till, as we've related, it became subject to Constantinople, not without many struggles. Now notice that John Neal saying this is a real church, it had apostolic succession, and it took struggles for Constantinople to claim succession above it. Now, those who accepted Constantinople uh, would not have been in the true church of God because by that time, Constantinople had deviated from the original faith, the original faith that we in the continuing church of God still proclaim and hold to this day. And others have referred to the church there as the Apostolic See of uh, Ephesus, um, this is from a, a 1924 book. I just read that. Now, in the 19th century, a non-Church of God historian, and most of the ones I'm reading are not Church of God historians, Francis Patrick Kenrick wrote, Ephesus was an autocephalous see, which it derived from the apostles Paul and John, its founders. The term autocephalous see means that it was on its own as opposed to being dependent on another church like being dependent on, let's say, the Church of Rome. Plus, Ephesus was a church of the East, not a church of the West like Rome was. Now, I want to read an observation from the early 20th century by Llewellyn uh, Poise. He's not a Church of God writer, and he wrote, It is not perhaps from the Church of Rome that it's easiest to trace the direct tradition of that apostolic succession, which connects primitive Christianity with the disciples of Jesus. We must go to Asia Minor to do this. The names that form the bridge are those of St. John the Evangelist, Polycarp of Smyrna. So people know this. And you say, wait a second, you're saying this. Why don't the Protestants say it? Well, we have a book called Hope and Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism. Now, while the Protestants know this, the Protestant scholars who've studied this kind of stuff know this, the reality is they don't hold to the original faith. They also don't hold to Sola Scriptura. We've got a fairly thick book, but it's free online at ccg.org that goes at in more depth. Yes, the reality is scholars know this, but other scholars have been afraid to connect the dots. Why? Because if you go through Polycarp, you, and what he taught and the others there taught, you don't become Protestant, you don't become Roman Catholic, you don't become Coptic, Orthodox, or Eastern Orthodox, you become Church of God. If you were willing to accept the truth. And by the way, these, these books are documented, referenced, there's references in these books in addition to scriptures that you can double check that we didn't just make this stuff up. It's based on the facts of history and what we have on, on that. Now, Ignatius of Antioch, who uh, seemed to be in the Church of God, was in the Church of God, he combined Ephesus and Smyrna together when he wrote, quote, this is in the early 2nd century, about 120 AD plus or minus, the Ephesians from Smyrna, whence I also write to you, who are here for the glory of God, as you are also, who have in all things refreshed me, salute you, along with Polycarp, the bishop of the Smyrnians. So again, we see a connection of Polycarp, Smyrna, and Ephesus. 
Now, I want to read some uh, citations from Roman Catholic and Protestant sources about the Sea of Smyrna. This one's Roman Catholic. Sea of Smyrna, Polycarp, its first patron, particularly charged by the apostles to instruct it. This is from the Annals of Propagation of Faith, 1841, from Roman Catholics. And now here's something else from Roman Catholics, Triumph of the Catholic Church, Early Ages, from 1860. Polycarp, Sea of Smyrna, made Archbishop of Smyrna. And here's something from Church Fathers, uh, catholicculture.org, from 2015. Polycarp himself had learned from the Apostle John and others who had seen Jesus and was appointed to the Sea of Smyrna by the Apostles themselves. So the Roman Catholic Church people, know, their scholars know Polycarp was appointed by the Apostles. He had true apostolic succession and he kept Passover, by the way, on the 14th and held other Church of God positions, including keeping the Biblical Holy Days, which the Church of Rome does not do. Here's another writing. Polycarp had been a disciple of St. John that he'd been supposed to have been consecrated by him to the Sea of Smyrna. Here's a, this one's definitely from a Protestant sources so from 1938. In the Sea of Smyrna, Camarillos, who had been made a deacon by Polycarp. Now, Camarillos, uh, by the way, uh, believed to died around uh, uh, 220 A.D. Now, throughout the centuries of the church age, we have reports of people who held Church of God doctrines who asserted possessing succession from the original apostles. Now, in the late 2nd century, the historian, lawyer, Tertullian of Alexandria wrote of Ephesus of Asia Minor being an apostolic church. He wrote, Come now, you who would indulge a better curiosity, if you would apply it to the business of your salvation, run over to the run over the apostolic churches in which the very thrones of the apostles are still preeminent in their places, in which their own authentic writings are read, uttering the voice and representing the face of each of them severally. Since you are able to cross to Asia, you get to Ephesus. So basically, Tertullian is asserting that there was apostolic succession in in, uh, uh, in Asia Minor in Ephesus, and by the way, they had the true Bible. They had the original scriptures. And we assert that the true Church of God had the knowledge of the true New Testament from the Apostle John, who was the last writer of the New Testament. And that the uh, Church of God gave the world the Bible. through God. I mean, God gave the world the Bible, but he did preserve the knowledge of it through the Church of God. Now, Tertullian, by the way, concluded that there were basically two apostolic churches, plus heretics. And since he said Ephesus was one, I think he tied it into the Smyrnians that we're going to get to in a moment. Tertullian wrote that the heresies are at best novelties. You know, they just popped up. They have no continuity with the teaching of Christ. Perhaps some heretics may claim apostolic antiquity, and we reply, let them publish the origins of their churches and unroll the catalog of their bishops till now from the apostles or from some bishop appointed by the apostles, as the Smyrnians count from Polycarp and John, and the Romans from Clement and Peter. Let the heretics invent something to match this. Now, when Tertullian wrote this, Alexandria and Jerusalem were basically aligned with the Romans, whereas Antioch was aligned with the Smyrnians, of course Ephesus was at the time, the faithful and the other faithful in Asia Minor. 
There also seems to have been some connection to uh, Armenia, parts of Europe, parts of Africa, and some of the British Isles then, but that's much more difficult to prove. Now the Romans and those of Asia Minor were not then in true fellowship with uh, each other as a letter from Plicrates to the Roman bishop Victor uh, around the same time pointed out. Now Tertullian must have known that the two groups had different beliefs. And of course that meant at most only one had been contending for the original faith. Only one could truly be faithful in the original to the original Apostolic Catholic Church, either the Church of the West or the one best representing the original Church of the East. Now, it should be pointed out before about being known about Asia before being known as Asia Minor, the Smyrnian territory was part of what was called Anatolia, which from the Greek means the East or East. Now, although the Church of Rome and their scholars consider Tertullian a highly important early church historian, you can see that from Catholic Encyclopedia, it stopped teaching that it had succession, initial succession through Clement, as uh, Tertullian wrote, but instead they changed that to uh, Linus, but that's another matter. Now, Tertullian's later writing indicated he did not consider that the Bishop of Rome, Callistus, truly had apostolic succession. Now, from the group that Tertullian called Smyrnians, the Church of God has continued throughout the entire church age. Now, I want to read something that a Roman Catholic posted in the Portuguese language. Now, for the purpose of this book, it was translated uh, for me into English by somebody uh, we have contact in Portugal. Here's what the, the, the Catholics wrote, Roman Catholic wrote. The construction of St. Peter's Basilica only visibly confirms something that had been a reality for many years. The seed of the Christian faith had been transferred from Jerusalem, the heart of Judaism, to Rome, the center of paganism. And Christ's prophecy about Israel was fulfilled. Now he's citing Matthew 21, 43. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, and it will be given to a people who will bear fruits of it. This prophecy is reaffirmed by St. Paul. He calls Roman Christians of pagan origin wild olive, which is grafted in place of the cut branches, Jews who rejected the Messiah. And he cites Romans 11.17. If some of the branches were cut, and if you, the wild olive tree, were grafted in its place, and now you receive sap from the root of the olive tree, do not flatter or belittle the branches. Now, the problem, there are many problems with this, but one of them is saying that these verses were intended to show rule by the Church of Rome. But that's not how these verses should be understood. Now it's true that top Christian leadership did transfer out of Jerusalem. But it ended up in Asia Minor. The Apostle Paul, Paul was up in Asia Minor. The Apostle John moved to Asia Minor and he died in Asia Minor. Because that's, anyway, and John was the last writer of the New Testament and the last of the uh, original apostles to die, as far as we know, and he died in Ephesus in Asia Minor. And after his death, as well as after the apostasy that hit Jerusalem around 135, the top leadership went to a Greek leader named Polycarp, who was then succeeded by other Greeks and others outside of Judea and various other communities. Furthermore, there's a very real question to consider. Is it biblically proud? possible for any C, 
or any headquarters of the true church to remain in the same city throughout the church age. Now, first let's read something from Jesus. This is uh, Matthew 10, starting in verse 22, and I'm going to read from the Eastern Orthodox Bible. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Nevertheless, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. Amen, I tell you, you will not have finished going through the cities of Israel till the Son of Man comes. Now, Jesus hasn't returned, of course. Whatever Christians that were in the area of Judea or Palestine have been chased throughout all the significant cities since Jesus made this statement. And the horrible crusades pretty much helped ensure they left. So Jesus has got to be referring to more cities than just those in Judea, Palestine, such as the regions that Jacob was alluding to in Genesis 49, and James, the apostle, referred to in James 1, verse 1. Now, although Jesus taught his true church would be continuing, he also prophesied it would not be possible for the headquarters of any church to be in one spot for like one city for like 2,000 years, and what I just read in Matthew 10. Nor do we expect the church to remain headquartered in Ephesus because of Jesus' warning about his lampstand moving in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We're not going to read that. And the spiritual descendants did move. Jesus also taught that Jerusalem was not essential for worship in John 4, and that his church would have significant tribulations in John 16. Statements from Jesus show that only a church whose headquarters moved relatively often, could possibly be the true church. Now, I want to read Jerome's Latin Vulgate for Hebrews 13, verse 14. And I'm going to get to it in English, too, but I'm going to read it in Latin first. Jerome wrote in Latin, Non amen habemus eek manetum Civitem sed futurum inquirimus. Literally translated in English it is, For we have not here a continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now, Rome, since no later than the mid-2nd century, has essentially been a continuing Roman Catholic city. Now, it's true that there were some leading bishops uh, based out of uh, Avignon, France in the 14th century, but otherwise Rome has been the continuing city. Furthermore, uh, Roman Catholics tend to call city, uh, Rome the eternal city. And for example, you can see that in Gibbons, Cardinal Gibbons' Faith of Our Fathers. Consider further, I want to use several Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox translations of Hebrews 13:14. First one's from the Jerusalem Bible, 1966. For there is no eternal city for us in this life, but we look for the one to come. Even though they call Rome the eternal city. Here's from the Dewey Rames. For we have not here, on earth, a permanent city, but we seek that which is to come. Here's from the Knox Bible, which is a Catholic translation. We have an everlasting city, but not here. Our goal is a city that is to one day to be. Here's from uh, the Nabri, Roman Catholic translation. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the one that is to come. Eastern Orthodox Bible. For we do not have here on earth an enduring city, but we seek one that is to come. 
And here's from the uh, Orthodox Standard Bible, which is also the same as the New King James in the New Testament. For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. It should be clear that the New Testament absolutely effectively proves that no city, including Rome, could possibly remain the headquarters of Christendom. Claiming otherwise contradicts the New Testament as well as what Jesus was teaching. The Bible shows that the church of God and not a single city is what would continue or endure throughout the church age. And furthermore, if there were uh, any permanent city, you know, you'd think it would be uh, Jerusalem. But as far as Jerusalem goes, Irenaeus wrote that it was the 2nd century, and he's a Greco-Roman saint, it was deservedly forsaken and no longer useful for putting forth fruit. Now, oddly, the Eastern Orthodox consider Irenaeus to be a major saint. As a matter of fact, they and the Vatican have now said that, uh, at least the Vatican said that he should be a doctor of the church. They claim that Jerusalem is one of the five apostolic sees that their saint Irenaeus thought God was finished using by that time. Now, Irenaeus' forsaken statement is possibly referring to those who fled Jerusalem prior to its destruction in 70 AD, but probably more likely what happened in 135 AD when it was taken over and renamed uh, Ilea Capitolina uh, after Hadrian was tired of the Jews' revolts. The historical reality is that Jerusalem did not continue throughout the church age as the leading church, nor did any other city for close to the last 2,000 years. So, did the main leadership of the original Catholic Church of God actually need to move around a lot throughout the church age? Certainly. Now, like some uh, Greco-Roman Catholics who live in church eras, many don't, we in the continuing Church of God consider that we are part of the unbroken succession to the previous church eras. Continuing Church of God traces its succession, its succession and doctrines back to the New Testament through the apostles and their faithful followers in places like Ephesus, uh, such as those known as the Smyrnians, and later through successive eras. These eras are also known as the seven churches of Revelation, and they're listed in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11. And in addition, they are covered in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Those of the Smyrna era were in Asia Minor and Antioch, and also reported to be elsewhere in Asia itself, Europe, uh, uh, Palestine, and, uh, uh, and, and, and Africa. Now those called Nazarenes existed in the time of Smyrna. They were called Nazarenes by uh, 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 Roman Catholic uh, St. Jerome, as well as uh, Epiphanius. And they existed in the time of Smyrna and into the era of Pergamos. Uh, again, it's, the seven churches of Revelation are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, uh, then uh, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Anyway, these Christians, essentially, they claimed to have succession through the original church and practice what was called primitive Christianity. So the Nazarenes said they had apostolic succession. They were Sabbath keepers. They kept the biblical holy days. They believed in the millennium. Actually, they said that the keeping the Feast of Tabernacles helped picture the millennial reign of Christ. 
Now, some with Nazarene doctrines also became later known as Paulicians. And it's been reported uh, that the Paulicians had, quote, a simple-minded form of Judaic Christianity. Paulicianism was spread from Syria, like Antioch, across Armenia and Asia Minor, possibly to Crete, eventually to Italy, and unquestionably over the Balkans. Now, misinformation has often resulted in what we tend to call guilt by uh, association, which means that some of those in the true Church of God were lumped into those who were not. And this type of situation has happened uh, in the Church throughout history. Matter of fact, to dismiss us now, a lot of Roman Catholics try to claim we're Protestant, which we're not. We're, we're just another Protestant sect that popped up. This is one of the lies that's written about us on the Internet, whereas if they would... If, people were truly interested in what, in facts, as well as being faithful to the Bible, they would see that, no, we have continuity from the original apostles. If you're Greco-Roman, Catholic, or Protestant, if you're willing to believe the truth, check up on us. Be sure that what I'm saying is true. The references are here. Check the references. You can see if you're willing to believe the truth. Now, some of the... Uh, uh, Paulicians went to Bulgaria. Uh, uh, the evangelist Dean Blackwell says the, the next stage Pergamus Church went to, into Bulgaria around 800 AD. Now, historians have noticed that the Bogomils of Bulgaria, who called themselves Christians, they didn't call themselves Bogomils, received various of their, quote, primitive Christianity teachings from Greek Asia Minor with Judeo Christian elements. That's from a book uh, written in 1929. And by the way, I'm not reading where all those references are right now in this sermon, but again, they're listed in this book, which again is online free. Now, speaking of the Bogomils, Roman Catholic scholars have written, quote, the heretics took their religious and moral requirements to a great extent from the New Testament. Well, taking moral and religious requirements from the New Testament, of course, would not be heretical. Now, I want to read something about the Sabbath and the Bogomil Paulicians. And Chambers Encyclopedia, under the article Sabbath, says, In the reign of Elizabeth, it occurred to many conscientious and independent thinkers, as it previously had done, in Bohemia, the fourth commandment required of them the observance, not of the first, but the seventh day of the week, and the strict bodily rest as a service to God. Dean Blackwell wrote, Notice then, in the reign of Queen Elizabeth, the same conviction occurred previously in Bohemia. And, and uh, Chambers is right there. He shows you that these Bogomils were Sabbath keepers. As uh, F.C. Coinedberg shows that the Paulicians were. Now, often, those in the true Church of God were called various names or lumped together with groups that were not faithful. And I want to read something from A.N. Duggar, um, who was a Church of God leader. He said, We find the identification of a true Church both by the name and doctrine scattered from Palestine to Spain and from the Piedmont Valley, the Waldenses of Italy, to Scotland, Ireland, and England. As has already been shown, that the people honoring the true faith and bearing the scriptural names were called by the world Waldensians, Vudois, 
Henricians, Catharists, Puritans, Bulgares, Polycans, Publicans, Lombardists, Albigenses, and also other names from leading preachers among them and from the countries which they would be expelled. But they disown these names, calling themselves the Church of God. So yes, we I've, we'll use terms like Waldensians or Cathares or Paulicians, but our people call themselves Church of God or sometimes Church of Christ. Now the problem is that when we say groups like, I say the Waldensians, only a small percentage of them were Church of God, some of these other groups. Uh, again, they were lumped in uh, because they opposed the Greco-Roman churches. They kind of lumped all their opponents with a similar name at the same time. But I want to read something else that uh, Dean Blackwell wrote. The Paulicians, in the key of truth, denounced Manny as fanatical and radical. But nonetheless, they were always called dualistic Manichaean sects. They were the first of Thrace, Macedonia, and Bulgaria. We previously dealt with the beliefs in Thrace. Originated in the early part of the 10th century, spread over uh, Serbia, Bosnia, Dalmatia, Croatia. In the latter countries, the church, they were called Paterines. Actually, some of these names of the smaller segments give you the background of the doctrines of the true church better than the names of the larger segments because they all call the, the heretics in Bulgaria Bulgamils. And they call the heretics in Italy Waldensias, and all the heretics in France Albigenses. Some church histories will admit as such. And even Roman Catholic scholars admit that there are major variations among groups that they called by the same name. Now, though some have called the Paulicians some type of Unitarian, I want to read something from the late 4th century by the Orthodox saint and Bishop uh, Gregory of Nyssa. I'm aware that the Manichees go about vaunting the name of Christ because they hold, the, revered the name to which we bow the knee. Shall we therefore number them among Christians? So too, he who both believes in the Father and receives the Son, but sets aside the majesty of the Spirit, has denied the faith as worse than infidel, who belies the name of Christ which he bears. So what's happening is, Gregory is condemning the Paulicians and the Manichees for being Benetarian. And it should be pointed out, while uh, Paulicians were not Manicheans, they were sometimes uh, called them by the Greco-Romans. But they themselves denied it, according to the Catholic Encyclopedia. So it's not just me making Again, I'm not making this up. Manny was a follower of the Manichees, and we know uh, our people were not Manichees because the Paulicians beliefs anathematized Manny, according to uh, the key of truth. So sometimes when you just read some of these historians who don't believe the Church of God, they'll lump us all in and say, oh, these people were this way. And people say, oh, look, you couldn't have been Paulicians because the Paulicians are Manichaeans and they believe this and you guys didn't, don't believe that. And the reality is they keep lumping us together. If you're willing to do the work and look at the details, you can see, no, there was a faithful their faithful followers continuing from the beginning. And uh, there were some who were called Albigenses and Bogomils were also part of the Pergamus, part of the church, which was followed by Thyatira. The church continued. Now, 
regarding the Waldenses, some of them held Church of God doctrine during the time of Thyatira. And they originally claimed to have descended from the Greek church, which would have been from Asia Minor and Antioch. And I want to read something from uh, uh, the old Worldwide Church of God. The Waldenses recognized that they were the true successors of the Apostolic Church. They kept the Sabbath and also the early Passover. Now I want to read something from the history of France and Jones's church history that was related by Duggar. Their enemies confirmed their great antiquity. Rhaenerius Sacco, an inquisitor and one of their most implacable enemies, who lived only 80 years after Peter Waldo, admits that the Waldenses flourished 500 years before their preacher, so back to 600 AD. Gretzer, the Jesuit, also wrote against the Waldenses and had examined the subject fully, not only admits their great iniquity, but declares his firm belief that the Toulousians and the Albigenses were no, no other than the Waldenses. In fact, their doctrine, discipline, government matters, and even some of the errors of which they've been charged by the Greco-Roman Catholics show that the Albigenses and Waldenses were distinct branches of the same sect or that the former sprang from the latter. So again, they didn't just, they didn't just pop up, but look at historical references. Oh, they just popped up with Peter Waldo and uh, the 11th century and others in the 12th century or whatever they've got. They haven't wanted to put it together. Why haven't those scholars done it? Because it won't help the uh, Protestants look good, it doesn't help the Catholics look good, and the Church of God is so small, they try to just discount us and don't want to pay attention to us. Furthermore, those ancient peoples, by the way, objected to be called Albigenses. From E. Comba's work, quote, the Waldenses objected to be called after Peter Waldo. They teach that we are a little Christian flock falsely called Waldenses. Now, there was reportedly a written list of successors that the original apostles had into the 16th century that the Waldenses used to claim that they had, and there's all kinds of reports about that that I've seen. Now, such a list of successors might have been a factor for uh, Roman Catholic prelates ordaining some Waldensians who moved in their direction in, the, in 1433 and 1434, and also apparently is a factor in the Greek Orthodox sending clerical orders to some in 1451. Now, in the 1500s, we have reports of Sabbatarians called uh, Anabaptists in Moravia. During the years 1526 to 1535, then, eight Anabaptist groups may be identified as existing in Moravia. Sabbatarian Moravia, 1530 to 1568, even as late as the early 17th century, Austro Austrolites was known for its religious confusion. According to one report, there were 12 sects in the town, four of which seemed to have been Anabaptist Sabbatarians. In the early 1700s, John Potter, an Anglican bishop of Oxford and Canterbury, said to Moravian bishops, now the Moravian bishops, by the way, claimed to have apostolic succession through the Waldensians. He said they had true succession, and he made a point that, quote, only those ignorant of church history could cast any doubt about it. 
So, so we've got this Anglican bishop saying in the early 1700s, yes, there was apostolic succession uh, going from uh, through, through all the ages, through the Waldenses, through the Moravians. There absolutely was one or more old accepted lists. Now, whatever lists there were shown in the 15th through 18th century seemed to have been lost, hidden, or destroyed. But the fact is, there was unbroken laying out of hands succession in the Church of God from the time of the original apostles. I want to read something from Johnson's Universal Cyclopedia of 1895. Sabbatarians, they hold the immersion of adult believers and also the observance of the seventh day of the week as a Sabbath, arguing that since the institution of the Sabbath at the close of creation and its formal Annunciation has been part of the Sanic Code. There's always been an unbroken chain for men who have kept the seventh day of the week as the Sabbath. And considering the introduction of the observance of Sunday in the second century is the first step toward apostasy. So the idea of unbroken apostolic succession upon Sabbatarians is reported in the 19th century. And as I've read for other centuries, people in the second, third, for other centuries, people all claim they had it. This is not a new concept. It's not something we just invented. Now here's something that uh, Dean Blackwell wrote. Do you fully grasp their claim? Every stage of the true church knew that he didn't come through the Reformation or out of the Roman Catholic Church. They claimed to have an unbroken chain of men who kept the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week. Now Sardis era leaders taught church errors, and they also taught apostolic succession. I want to read from uh, Duggar and Dodd's A History of True Religion. J.T. Williamson, in the April 1st, 1924 Bible Advocate, said, oh, I'm sorry, let me read the other one, I'll get to that. Look, I'll read that and I'll get to Duggar. So, Will, Williamson, the biblical advocate, said, to properly describe the conditions of the church, from Christ's first advent till the second coming, this entire period of time of the New Testament church is subdivided into seven periods. The first period of apostolic age is called the Church of Ephesus. He goes on to divide the church history into seven periods based on the seven churches. So we teach that as well, and it was the teaching of the old Church of God's seventh day. Now getting back to Duggar, let's read Duggar and Dodd's book, Succession in apostolic ordination. The scriptures teach us most emphatically that the apostolic virtue and power was handed down from apostle to apostle by divine ordinance of the laying out of hands and prayers. And he cites various scriptures. That the Sabbath-keeping church of God has a most definite link of connection back through the holy men to the days of the apostles is certain. And uh, we agree. Now the old radio and worldwide church of God the Philadelphia era taught about this as well. Um, let's uh, read here. It says, Jesus promised to be with the faithful remnant to the end of the age to guide his people into the truth. Soon after John finished the book of Revelation, the remnant of the true church, which kept the commandments and believed the gospel of the kingdom, was cast out and scattered over the length and breadth of the whole Roman Empire. This fulfilled Jesus' warning, I'll come to quickly remove your candlestick out of your place. Thus ended the apostolic age typified by the church of Ephesus. The church of Smyrna at Smyrna rises next. For centuries, Roman Catholic writers mentioned remnants of true church within the bounds of the Roman Empire. 
Sometimes there were individuals, sometimes scattered families, especially in the Near East. There were still uh, local congregations preaching the gospel, keeping the commandments. A remnant remains. John writes the Church of Philadelphia, I know your work. He's citing Revelation 3 8 here. Behold, I set before you an open door that no one can, man can shut, for you have a little strength. You've kept, not, you've kept my word and not denied my name. Here's a church with little strength, few in numbers, which kept the word of God, one who's not denied the truth. By the way, all this, I'm reading this section is from Herman Hay, 1957, from Radio Church God. Here's a church who's preaching the gospel because Jesus promised to set before it an open door until the uh, work of the church is completed. Here's a church which Jesus loves. And the Good News magazine in the 1980 in the old Worldwide Church of God says there was a Philadelphian succession of the Church of God founded in the day of Pentecost 31 by Jesus Christ. And that was written by Herbert W. Armstrong. The old radio slash Worldwide Church of God considered that it rose up as the Philadelphia era 1933. And it had succession from Ephesus and then through the other eras that preceded Philadelphia. Those of us in continuing Church of God consider ourselves to be the spiritual laying on of hands descendants of Ephesus era, which is through 135, followed by the era of Smyrna through 450, Pergamos through 1050, Thyatirans through around 1600, the Sardisians through around uh, 1931 uh, 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 or 33, uh, from uh, Philadelphians through 1986. Specifically, we consider ourselves to be the most faithful remnant of the Philadelphia church living in the Laodicean era. I've got a table, and I'm going to try to read some of this table, but it's just, I don't know how well that's going to go across. So let me put... Uh, part of this table up. I'll put another part up in just a moment. I'll give you a second or so to glance at it. But basically, we teach a continuity, but not a permanent city. Uh, you've got the Ephesus apostolic period running through uh, 31 to, to 67. The main leadership was uh, based in Jerusalem, but there are also people in Antioch, Asia Minor, Greece, Judea, Rome, British Isles. They called itself Church of God, but its opponents called it Christians in uh, Acts 11.26, and the Nazarene sector called it in Acts 24. This is followed by the, the end of the Ephesus Apostolic Era, uh, the Apostles through about 100 AD, and the post-Apostolic Era till about 135. Again, this was based now, this time, in Jerusalem and Asia Minor being headquarters, but also Antioch, Greece, Rome, British Isles, and Asia, and Judea were part of this. They call themselves the Church of God. They also call themselves the Catholic Church, but their critics call them uh, a Nazarene sect or the Minim. This is followed by Smyrna. And from around uh, 135 to uh, 250, well, up to, to, uh, to 380, it was mainly based out of uh, Asia Minor. It called itself Church of God or uh, Catholic Church, but they were called... Uh, 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 Nazarenes and Minim uh, as well. But around the time the church fled in the wilderness from 380 to 450, that part of the Smyrna church probably was headquartered out of Armenia. 
But there are also places we see in the Balkans, Asia Minor, Greece, Syria, British Isles, Asia, Africa, Judea, and Palestine. And uh, they call themselves uh, uh, Church of God, uh, Catholic Church of Nazarene, but they were then start to be called Politians, uh, Nazarenes, Judaizers, Ebionites, and Foolish Madmen. Foolish Madmen came from Emperor Theodosius, 380-381. Pergamus uh, is from 450 to 1050. Uh, based, the headquarters seem to be different spots, but Armenia, Balkans, Bulgaria, but also there were, there were some in Asia Minor, Arab lands, Syria, British Isles, Asia, Africa, uh, Judea, Palestine. They called themselves Church of God, Catholic Church, and Christian. But their critics called them Politians, Bogomils, Cathars, Paterines, Albigensians, Budois, Catharists, Puritans, Bourgeois, Publicans, Lombardists, and uh, Boldenses. Uh, from 1050 to 1600, the Church of the Wilderness of Thyatira seemed to have been based in France. Uh, it was in Italy for a while, but also France. And uh, there were also people in Asia Minor, in Europe, Arab lands, Syria, British Isles, Africa, Judea. They called itself Church of God or Church of Christ. Critics called people with those positions Cathars, Paterines, uh, Lollards, Sabati, Manicheans, Publicani, Brabanters, uh, Argonese, Arag. Aragonese, Arnless, Navarese, Leonosti, Basques, Petrobrusians, Cotterelli, Anabaptists, Waldensians. And I just was reading from another page for this. This is this part here, and I will go through these here. This is followed by uh, Sardis. And from Sardis, from probably around 1600, 1800, mainly based in uh, uh, Great Britain, then uh, from around 1800, uh, to 1933, based in the United States, and there's there are some crossover there uh, from leaders. Uh, so it could have been more, maybe in the 1700s, it crossed over to the United States. Uh, so, but there there were headquarters uh, around the, in the, those areas. Uh, called itself a Church of God or Church of Christ. Uh, eventually, uh, we see it picked up the name Church of God Seventh Day. Critics called them Judaizers, Anabaptists, Traskyites, Sabbath keepers, or Saturday people. This is followed by Philadelphia uh, 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 in uh, 1933. This was based out of the Western United States, but of course there were true Christians in North America, South America, Australia, Pacific Islands, Africa, Asia, Europe. Hope I didn't miss any there. Uh, the Philadelphians called themselves uh, Radio or Worldwide Church of God. Uh, or Christian. Critics tend to call it uh, Armstrongism cult. Now, what about the continuation of the Philadelphia Church? I believe that's from 1986 to present. Headquarters mainly in the Western United States, but of course with uh, lots of people in Africa. Uh, you got Asia, Europe, North America, South America, Australia, Pacific Islands. Uh, what were the names uh, from this period of time? Well, there was a Worldwide Church of God uh, through 92, uh, was around, there was remnants in there. The Global Church of God through 1998. Uh, the Living Church of God probably to around uh, uh, 2011. The original Catholic Church from 2008 to 2011 uh, was what 
for Debar Partian, uh, the Continuing Church of God and the Original Apostolic Catholic Church of God from 2012 to present, or, or Christian, but our critics tend to call us Armstrongism cult, or they call us Protestants. What about Laodiceans? Uh, the main Laodicean churches seem to be based out of the United States, but there are Laodiceans throughout the world, basically. They have uses, they tend to use the term, however, Church of God, or call themselves Christian, and the critics call them an Armstrongism cult. Now, we in the Continuing Church of God don't view our succession lists quite the same way that the Roman Eastern Orthodox churches view theirs. We believe that we're the true spiritual descendants of the apostles, and we're not dependent on a bishop-to-bishop transfer, but we do believe we hold through the teachings of uh, the church. We're a true little flock, like Jesus said in Luke 12:32, and that all of our leaders do have laying on of hands succession. Uh, that brings us all the way back to the time of the apostles, and it's unbroken. And just to comment on that, one of the things I wondered about this years ago was, well, what about getting from Europe to the United to the Americas? And I was not sure if Sabbath keepers at that time would be willing to pay somebody to go on a boat because it took months to get over there, so they have to be on on the on the boats on the Sabbath to come over here. And I found various manifests and proof that no, they really did. So that yes, there was laying out of hands succession that came into the Americas. Well, uh, Jesus is perfect, uh, Hebrews uh, 2.10, and the true head of the church, Colossians 1.18. Unlike the Church of Rome, we don't claim infallibility of any of our human leaders, nor any of their writings, including my own. Plus, we acknowledge there can be more than one accurate succession list, because there were many apostles in various branches. So we're not saying that there's no apostolic succession in the Laodicean churches or some of those other ones. But what we are contending is that um, we have succession from the apostles. We teach what they taught. We can document that what some of the earlier followers taught. We can also show the scriptures of what they taught. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about some early succession lists here. If Eusebius, the historian, gave us correct information and it was accurate, Here's a list of apostolic succession of Church of God leaders, people who kept the Sabbath, the Holy Days, didn't eat unclean meats, etc., from Jerusalem. Eusebius wrote, The first, then, was James, the so-called brother of the Lord, the second, Simeon, the third, Justice, the fourth, Zacchaeus, the fifth, Tobias, the sixth, Benjamin, the seventh, John, the eighth, Matthias, the ninth, Philip, the tenth, Seneca, the eleventh, Justice, the twelfth, Levi, the thirteenth, Ephraim, the 14th, Joseph, and finally the 15th, Judas. These are the bishops of Jerusalem that lived between the age of the apostles and the time referred to all of them belonging to the, all of them belonging to the circumcision. So we consider those to be Church of God leaders, and that is an early succession list. And again, those people kept our doctrines, same doctrines we do. The, I, I want to clarify something. This would be an odd point. The, the Catholic Encyclopedia wrote, quote, but ecclesia, ecclesia, ecclesia is never used by the apostles to denote the Jewish church. The word is a, uses a technical expression and has been transferred to the continuity of Jewish believers. 
Now this is a reference to Jews that were not Christian. So that's confused some people because uh, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses the term uh, uh, churches for the Jew churches of Judea. So the Catholic Church wasn't trying to say that. Okay. The Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, by the way, acknowledges that the Christian Church uh, originated in Jerusalem, was based out of Jerusalem for a time, and that uh, the original apostles stayed there for quite some period of time. Now, as I alluded to before, we do not consider that after 135 A.D., after the death of the uh, Judas, the 15th of the bishops or pastors there, that the one who claimed succession later, a Latin by the name of Marcus, had apostolic succession. He was not part of the Church of God. He compromised and didn't go along with it. And as I mentioned before, uh, Arrhenius said at that time, by the time of Marcus, uh, Jerusalem had been deservedly forsaken. And uh, the Church of God people uh, were separated. Now, I want to, as far as separatists go, I want to read something about a claimed Church of God group. In the days of Empress Irene, around 800 AD, they acquired the name of Atangians, uh, another name. The more you look, the more names you'll come up with. Atangians, or as this world meant, separatists, because they rejected image worship. So they weren't just called separatists because they didn't have images in their worship, but because they separate, they were separate from the Greco-Roman churches. And that's been the case throughout history. Now, Antioch on the Orentes, also known as Syrian Antioch, was an ancient Greek city on the eastern side of the Orontes River. It, uh, its ruins lie near the current city of uh, Antica, Antica, Turkey. And followers of Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch, according to Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Now, I've got uh, a... I put, I'm going to show a, an apostolic succession list. This comes from the Eastern Orthodox Church. So these are leaders listed in uh, uh, Antioch. Starts off with uh, Peter, then... Euodius, then it's got uh, Ignatius, who I talked about. There's other leaders through here. Uh, Theophilus of Antioch, I've done a sermon about him. Uh, also, Serapion of Antioch. We consider all these people through Serapion to be uh, true Church of God leaders. And we've got, there's writings from several of those, and we have those, and they held Church of God positions on things like the Godhead, and Passover, and the Sabbath. So they did not hold uh, Eastern Orthodox, uh, modern Eastern Orthodox uh, positions. We don't consider that somebody called Clispedes, the confessor, who started around 211 to 212, who was next on the Orthodox list to be have succession. He was not, we don't consider him faithful. Throughout church history, the mystery of iniquity has been present, as you can read in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. False leaders have appeared, Scriptures talk about that. And they were prophesied to do so. It's like you can see in 2 Peter chapter 2. Prior to taking hold of Asia Minor, around 200 A.D., Serapi of Antioch warned about a lying confederacy that came under the name of New Prophecy that was forming. And that ended up enveloping much of Antioch after his death. At the time of his writing, it appears that uh, Rome and Alexandria were still accepting this New Prophecy. 
that the Montanists were promoting, and Serapium wasn't part of that. But Serapium was part of the Church of God. And Polycarp, by the way, a little bit earlier, warned of the vanity of uh, many, which resulted in a larger organization than the Church of God has become. Now, I will comment that during the time of Asclepides the Confessor, we assert that there were Christian leaders in Antioch that didn't follow him, but the Eastern Orthodox don't have them on their list. Uh, so it's their later list that we don't accept. Now, we think they had a lot of them there in the third century, uh, for, such as, for example, Lucian of Antioch, who was martyred in 312, uh, was a true Christian, and he had succession. I also would like to read something about this. Jewish Christianity, up to the 4th century, the followers of Jesus who observed ritual practices of Mosaic law and preserved theological traditions of Judaic origin had notable communities in Syria. So in other words, this is a report that through the 4th century, there were Church of God Christians in Syria, Antioch, who were keeping the Sabbath and other didn't eat unclean meats and things such as those things. Perhaps I should probably mention that there are legends that the Apostle Paul, uh, Joseph Arimathea, and perhaps others uh, were the first Christians in Belgium, if you're not Belgium, in the British Isles. Uh, British Isles. Uh, here's one report about that. One claim, Christianity was first introduced to Britain by Joseph of Arimathea, followed by Simon Zelotes, the Apostle, then by Aristobulus, the first Bishop of Britain, then followed by St. Paul. Now, this is possible, but it might only be a later legend, and more on the British side of this and British succession and all that stuff is in this, this, uh, this book. It's not in this one so much, but in this book, Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism. Again, this book's available at the ccog.org website. It goes into more depth on the Brits. Now, that being said, I want to read something from Dawson's book, The Celtic Church and English Christianity. The Celtic churches of Ireland, of, of Galloway, and, the, and those of Iona were at one with the British church. These claimed the southern Gaul and Spain to have drawn their faith from the apostolic see of Ephesus. Their liturgies were such fragments as have come down to us, bear marks belonging to the Oriental family of liturgies. We need continuing Church of God represent the original Eastern liturgy, Eastern Rite, trace ourselves from Ephesus, and this book I just cited here says the Celtic churches says they got it from Ephesus. So they say missionaries basically came from Asia Minor from the Greek church and went over there. So we've got that. As far as doctrines go, some of the Celts of the British Isles in the Middle Ages practiced foot washing, which we do. They were uh, semi-Aryan, or Benetarian, which we are. They practiced tithing, which we do. They avoided unclean meats, like we do. They forbade sexual intercourse during menstruation, consistent with Leviticus and Exodus, which we do, also. We, they kept the seventh-day Sabbath. They didn't observe Easter Sunday, yet they kept 14, Passover on the 14th. Those are all continuing Church of God and not Greco-Roman or Protestant doctrines. Based on available records we put together, beginning with the original apostles through John of Ephesus, um, we do believe that we have a, a succession. Now, we also believe Peter had primacy. So some of the Roman Catholics will say 
Do you believe Peter had primacy? We actually do. I want to read something that the late Herbert W. Armstrong wrote. He was pastor general of the old Worldwide Church of God, the Reader Church of God. God has always worked through one man primarily at a time. In founding God's church, Jesus worked primarily through one man. Peter, even though he originally chose 12 disciples, his 12 disciples, no, excuse me, Jesus worked primarily through one man, Peter, even though he, Jesus, originally chose his 12 disciples. If you have ever noticed how Peter was a real leader, Jesus told his disciples not to go to the Gentiles, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Jerusalem conference in Acts 15 showed that Peter was predominant over uh, even Paul, Although Paul was the one man, God worked primarily through the ministry of the Gentiles. Acts 8, Peter with John went to Samaria. Acts 15, this crucial chapter has been misinterpreted, twisted, and distorted. Tried to make it clear, apostles and ministers were all confusion and disputing, but Christ silenced them by speaking through his chosen chief, Apostle Peter. And we teach that about Peter as well. Uh, we believe that uh, uh, we've got a list of leaders in Asia Minor uh, through uh, around 250 AD. I'm not going to go through all of their names right now, but these people are all considered to be saints by the uh, Greco-Roman churches. And uh, we believe that they have uh, a succession. And uh, again, we face our succession uh, through this region. Now, perhaps I should be mentioned that uh, in the Continuing Church Guide, we also accept that there were saints and apostles in Rome, uh, beginning with the Apostle Paul. I mean, because Paul wrote to the saints in Romans 1.7. But we don't trace our succession through uh, second century uh, Roman leaders, bishops such as Pius I or Anicetus I, because they didn't continue, for example, with uh, the Apostle Paul's practice, Apostle Paul's and Apostle John's practice, of keeping Passover on the 14th. But I probably should point out that in 251 AD, there were 44 Jewish Christians, uh, Judeo-Christian congregations in Rome, according to Orchard's Concise History of Foreign Baptists that was published in 1838. And I probably should mention that the vast majority of early leaders in Asia Minor that's uh, in, in our Ephesus or Smyrna succession list, they either wrote letters or they had treatises written about them that survive to this day. Now, scholars have noted that the Greco-Roman Catholic historian Eusebius intentionally didn't report later details about Asia Minor, about those considered to be Judeo-Christians. If he did, we'd have had a longer list, I think, from Peonius. Since Eusebius was the official uh, historian for, for Constantine, this is one of the reasons why uh, some of our early lists have sometimes we have some gaps. Scholars realized various records retained by those we consider to have been early Church of God sources were destroyed. Now, I, I guess I'll mention this. Now, there's a claimed succession in Constantinople. But I want to read something uh, from the Oxford Dictionary of uh, Byzantium. Not until the end of the 7th century, however, did the idea appear that Andrew ordained Stachys, the first legendary bishop of Constantinople. So one, one issue that happened was, in Asia Minor, in Ephesus and Smyrna, etc., 
we had apostolic succession. Because of imperial reasons, Constantinople pushed emphasis of Smyrna aside uh, once they were taken over. And then finally, they had to come up with some way to say they had apostolic succession. So according to the uh, Oxford Dictionary, it wasn't until the end of the 7th century that they came up with claiming this thing about Andrew was ordaining stackies. Although the idea of Andrew being involved did come in earlier than that. But that's basically a late legend. The reality is, we in the continuing church of God do have apostolic succession. I went through the church errors. I went through uh, names, what other people called us. We do have succession, and we showed you some early succession lists. Our early leaders in Jerusalem, our early leaders in Asia Minor, and our uh, uh, early leaders in, in Antioch, while acknowledging that there were leaders in other places that we uh, just we didn't have, have the list for. In the continuing Church of God, we do have laying on of hands succession. We have true apostolic succession because we teach what this book. Let me hold it. Up, what this book teaches, we stand by what this book teaches. We can document that Protestants do not do that, even though they claim sola scriptura. There was no faith like modern Protestantism in early Christianity. Protestant scholars have looked for one in vain and have not found it. See, so obviously that was not the faith once for all delivered to the saints, which it says in Jude 3 we're supposed to contend for. As far as beliefs of the original Catholic Church, if you look at what their leaders taught, or people they claim were their leaders taught, taught is a better way to word it, you find that they held Church of God doctrines, doctrines that we in the continuing Church of God continue to hold today. So yes, within the continuing Church of God, we do claim to have apostolic laying on of hands succession. We believe that our doctrines prove it, and there are historical records for many of the leaders from the time of the apostles to present, which demonstrate that. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the continuing Church of God, a church that is not Protestant.